eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. I am on my third cup of coffee of the day, so I'm a little jacked up right now, but, but it's fine because I want my energy to mirror my legitimate excitement for this podcast. It's a podcast in which my not-so-well-hidden allegiances to UCF as a, as a grad get to kind of come out a little bit because the, the topic of this podcast is going to be Florida State's quarterback of the, I was going to say the future, but, but of the present, really, McKenzie Milton. McKenzie Milton was a fantastic quarterback at UCF. And to document and preview to Florida State fans what we can expect in the next season here with McKenzie Milton. I'm bringing on three very established voices who know and have covered McKenzie Milton at a very high level for quite a quite a while. First, we're going to have Andrea Adelson of ESPN. She broke the McKenzie Milton to FSU News. Then we're going to have Jason Beatty of Knights 24-7. Uh, Jason has covered McKenzie Milton. Basically, uh, he's the same age as McKenzie. He got to UCF in 2016 with McKenzie and covered him on the sideline as a photographer and then as a writer. And, and so he's been able to tell his story from a unique perspective. And then finally, we'll have Mark Daniels on to talk about McKenzie Milton. And Mark Daniels is a radio host in Orlando, but also he's a 25, uh, I think even longer than that, year veteran calling plays for UCF. He's basically the Gene Deckerhoff of Central Florida in terms of his experience and his firsthand knowledge of the program. So three people with unique, insightful views into McKenzie Milton are going to kind of share their experiences covering him and, and give us a glimpse of, of where he's coming from, but also where they think he's going, why he fits at Florida State. And so it's going to be really, there's going to be a fun parade to welcome McKenzie Milton to Florida State, to Tallahassee with people who are very knowledgeable about his background. Additionally, we're going to have Josh Newberg on after the commercial break, after the parade is has concluded, so he can give us a, a snippet, a preview of the early signing period, which is on Wednesday. If you're listening to this as soon as the podcast drops on Tuesday evening, that's tomorrow. If you're listening to this the day after it drops, that's today. But the early signing period is going to have some interesting storylines for the Seminoles as they try to wrap up a, a bunch of commitments they currently have, get them to sign. And then, then also maybe we'll have some surprises Newberg kind of dropped some hints on what he thinks can happen, uh, although it wouldn't be a surprise if we knew for sure it was going to happen. So some of the storylines that we're looking for. So uh, 
I want to give a shout out to Market Square Liquors real quick before we get into the the UCF uh, McKinsey Milton Parade. Market Square Liquors is located off of Timberlane Road in northern Tallahassee. It is your place to go for spirits, uh, especially with the holiday spirit. They have a lot of great gift sets. If you're looking for some some final week or so gifts before Christmas, uh, they have a handful of really nice scotches where they have some gift sets that'll come with you know, a nice fancy glass or or a cool camp campfire mug if it's Ardbeg or uh, Jameson, Kahlua, all kinds of different spirits for, for you guys to go ahead and get for your loved ones or even yourself because it's some cool gift sets. So go ahead, check out Market Square Liquors off Timberlane Road. We appreciate their support and the support that you've given them as well the last few months as they've been our sponsor. So without further ado, let's go ahead and let's get this McKinsey Milton Parade started. Leading the parade of McKinsey Milton coverage here on On the Bench, fittingly, the woman who broke the story of McKinsey Milton committing to Florida State, Andrea Adelson of ESPN. I don't know, are you like the, the marching band conductor? Is that a fair way to call this right now? You're, you're leading the, this whole shindig. Okay, I know I'm not supposed to play favorites in my job, but I am not uh, afraid to admit that Mackenzie Milton is one of my favorite all-time athletes I've ever covered. Wow. And I am just happy to be a, a part of his journey. Can I ask you why? Yep. Uh, what, what makes him stand out to you? And, and you've covered thousands at this point, I'm sure. That's the, right? Like you've covered, you've covered so many athletes and written so many cool stories. What makes Mackenzie stand out? First of all, he is somebody that you naturally gravitate toward, who is not putting on any airs, who is as real as real can be, who is not going to sugarcoat anything, who's not going to talk in cliches, who's going to say how he feels. That's as an interview subject. But as an athlete, watching what he has been through the last three years, and I'm going to include 2017, because there was a lot of flack that went to the UCF players after they self-declared themselves as national champions. Won a national championship. They they have declared it, yes. Uh, Mackenzie took it all on, said, yeah, why not? Why, Why can't we call ourselves national champions? And he did it with a swagger and a bravado that made you see why he had the respect of everybody inside the locker room. So then to see him go through what he's been through the last two seasons and never give up on his dream and his goal to not just play football, he wants to be a starting quarterback again. This is what has been the target from the moment he woke up from surgery at Tampa General Hospital in 2018 after he nearly had his leg amputated because of the hit that he took to his knee that ended up causing artery and nerve damage. The doctor said to him, we hope you can maybe walk again one day. And McKenzie said, that's not good enough. I am going to start again one day. The hard work that it took for him to get to this point, the setbacks, that he had last season, nobody knew that he had been hospitalized with a major infection in his knee right before the season started. And he lost weight. He had to have a pick line in his arm for him to get a medication to 
uh, get rid of the infection. So I'm saying all this because in watching his journey from the top of the college football world in 2017 to where he is right now, how can you not root for a guy to make his dreams come true, given everything he had been on the football field, given everything he can now be again on the football field, and watching that perseverance, dedication, relentlessness to make himself into the Mackenzie Milton that everybody remembers. Scratch that. Better than the Mackenzie Milton people remember. I, I just think that it is an inspirational story that no matter who your favorite team is, it makes you want to root for him. So a little peek behind the curtain on our reporting process. We already told our listeners that Josh Newberg did get in touch with McKenzie Milton about like five days ago or so. McKenzie just gave him an op- update of saying, here's my timeline, but I want to mention any schools. We had tried Andrea for days to get his phone number. I tried from different people who I've known in Orlando, coaches, no one wanted to give it out or no one had it, one or the other. You were the one person who I knew probably had the number. And I didn't want to ask you, though, because I figured that what happened yesterday was coming. I didn't want to put you in that position. Congratulations on the exclusive with Mackenzie Milton. Uh, what went through your mind, I guess, when when you guys got in contact and said, OK, this is how we're going to report the story and finding out that it was Florida State for him? So Mackenzie called me. Um, I don't even remember what time. Uh, he's in Hawaii right now. So he's five hours behind. And he was like, am I, am I bothering you right now? I'm sorry, I'm in Hawaii. And I was like, no, it's, it's never a bother. <laughs> call me whenever you want. It's fine. This is my job. <laughs> I'm always there to take a phone call, right? That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, well, I'm, I'm ready to announce my decision. And you no, know, I've known you for a long time. And, and you have been a part of the journey and writing about my journey um, for three years. So I, I, I want to tell you this and uh, I, I want you to be the first person that I talk to. And of course, at that point, you're feeling really grateful and humble that you have the trust in somebody to tell you that information first. Uh, and it has been a long process, of course, to build that trust. As you know, Brendan, uh, it takes time to get an athlete or a coach to confide in you. And because I had been with McKenzie now, basically every step of the way, I was there in 2017. I was there when he got hurt in the press box, wanting to throw up. Like I think everybody probably felt for for any athlete, that's the natural reaction when you see something as terrible as, as what we saw unfold. I I had his first interview after the injury uh, and I talked to him this year for the first time about being on scout team. And he talked to me when he transferred from UCF. So I was hoping he would call me, but that's up to him. So he called and he said, I want to announce that I'm going to go to Florida state. And I said, okay, before I ask you some questions, what you told me last week was that you wanted to go to a program that was ready to win right now. 
and has a really good offensive line because you don't want to be on your back the whole season. And he started laughing <laughs> and he was like, you know, Florida, you know, Florida state's going to get there. You know, they've got some really young players on, uh, on this team. They're going to be better. He loves Mike Norvell, obviously had a, a firsthand look at Memphis when he played at UCF. And those were some dog fights against UCF that they played against Memphis. In fact, this is, uh, kind of a tangent, but when I talked to him about leaving UCF and I asked, what are some of your more memorable games? He mentioned Memphis uh, as, as one of them. Uh, so I just think he has a great amount of respect for Mike Norvell, the offensive system, the way the offensive line has made some progress this year. Uh, I don't think that the line is as bad as it was at the beginning of the year. Uh, and, and there's progress. You can see the incremental baby steps that have been made. I think for McKenzie, the overarching thought and belief was, I know I can start again. Other people might not believe that, but I believe it. So he brings that belief with him to a place that needs the belief in knowing how good they are. Not how good they can be, but how good they are. That has been missing at Florida State now for several years. And he wants this opportunity now at a Power 5 program. I think we all realize and understand when you play at a school like UCF, there are always going to be naysayers who say, well, that's not a power school. Ah, it's a group of five. That kind of diminish those accomplishments because maybe the competition level isn't what it is at a school like Florida State. He wants to take on that challenge, even though he has not played in two years. That's the kind of mindset and mentality he has that I think can permeate across an entire team. So for him, this is an opportunity to prove himself, to prove himself at a, a higher level, to compete for a starting job, to be given every opportunity to compete for it. He doesn't want it to be handed to him. He wants to compete for it. He wants to win it fair and square. He's not coming in there saying, I deserve this. I deserve that. That's not Mackenzie Milton. He wants to earn it. And I do think that type of attitude at a place like Florida State is much needed. And the end goal, of course, for Mackenzie is to try and get in the NFL somehow. So I think he also views this as a, a launching pad for him if he is able to win the starting job to be able to put on tape performances against elite competition like Notre Dame in the opener. You know, obviously they're going to be playing Clemson next year, going back to their schedule, Florida, et cetera. Those are more high profile teams than he got to play at UCF beyond Auburn, uh, you know, in the Peach Bowl. So uh, I think that he views this as a positive, and I know Florida State views it as a positive, not just for what he can potentially do on the field, but what he can add to the locker room. It occurred to me yesterday that even if Mackenzie Milton never plays a snap for whatever reason at Florida State, what he brings to the locker room is going to be so invaluable. And Andrew, in your reporting, like in the story, he mentions it a couple times, the young guys, the young cats, however you want to phrase it. He talked about his role with, with those young guys. Why, why do you think that's so appealing to him? Because it is something he mentioned multiple times to you. Mackenzie has experience with this. The quarterback who is the starter now at UCF, Dylan Gabriel, was a guy that McKenzie 
mentored from the moment Dylan arrived on campus when nobody really even gave him a chance to win the starting job last year. Everyone was talking about Brandon Wimbush because he was the transfer from Notre Dame and then DJ Mack gets hurt. And now here's this freshman from Hawaii that not a lot of people have heard about or maybe didn't give uh, much credence to an opportunity to get the starting job. And he did, and he's flourished and he has been absolutely terrific as a true freshman and again as a sophomore McKenzie was with him every step of the way he never shied away from being the veteran who was mentoring the young guys I think he really relished that opportunity because even though he himself could not be out there on the field he viewed his role as somebody who could help make his team better. And in order to help make his team better, he had to be a mentor for the younger players, specifically Dylan in the quarterback room. It's a similar dynamic at Florida State. When you look at the young quarterbacks who are going to be in that room, I think he definitely wants to start, but he also realizes that he can be somebody who can bring along some young players who have a great amount of potential, who maybe don't see that in themselves. He sees it, and he knows what it takes to be able to get that out of you. It's very similar to a coach who sees the potential in you before you even see it for yourself. So the coach knows what needs to be done to get that out of you. McKenzie's role the last two years has made him more like a player coach. Uh, and so I think that has given him an opportunity into seeing how important it is to help develop the young players on your team. Florida State, beyond quarterback, is one of the youngest teams in the country. So if you can provide that example for your team, inevitably that makes you better as a player, and it obviously makes the team better. So McKenzie knows if I'm going to go ahead and compete for this starting job and try to win this starting job, I need everybody around me to be better. I'm not coming here to be on a team that's going to go two and 10. I'm coming in here to win. He is a guy who is used to winning. So to do that, you got to bring the young guys around you along. And I think he's perfectly suited to do that because that's the role he's had at UCF the last several seasons. Last, last thing here for you. I want to see if you could help me workshop like a, like a column that I'm working on. And and basically I view it as, as this Andrea is that, and this is with your experience covering FSU and McKenzie and UCF. I view this as like a perfectly imperfect marriage. Like it's the island of misfit toys right now where McKenzie has his flaws, which is the unknown of the knee and how he does after two years of, of not playing. Florida State obviously didn't check all the boxes for McKenzie Milton of what he was looking for initially. Needs a quarterback like him, but the reason why they can get a quarterback like him is because of that unknown, those inherent flaws and risks that you're taking with his injury. So in some ways, like while this there's variables and they're taking risks on both sides, it's not a perfect fit. It is kind of a perfect fit. Does that make sense where I'm coming from when I'm trying to formulate here in my mind is I'm going to write this later today? I don't think either side has anything to lose. Okay. That's the bottom line here. And that's why this makes it the perfect, imperfect fit. Florida State needs somebody with the intangibles that Mackenzie Milton has. Mackenzie Milton needs a team to showcase his talent and to help him with his comeback story. I have no idea whether he's going to win the starting job. Mackenzie has no idea whether he's going to win the starting job. 
Mike Norvell has no idea whether McKenzie's going to win the starting job. But it hurts nothing to bring him in and to give him that chance. It does not hurt Mackenzie Milton to come in and a new situation to try a fresh slate and win the starting job. And so I think that's why this makes it a good fit. There are some other teams that McKenzie looked at uh, that he did not want me to mention publicly that I don't necessarily think were as great a fit. And even though some of those boxes perhaps were not checked off, I think in the bigger picture, what McKenzie saw was an opportunity to leave his mark on a program that needs somebody to help them. Florida State needs somebody to help them. Probably more than one in a quarterback, but it's a good starting point. And if he can help in any way get this program headed into the right direction, then Mike Norvell did the right thing and Mackenzie Milton did the right thing. If he doesn't, you've still got a young team that you believe in. If you're Mike Norvell, you've still got some quarterbacks that you signed that you think have an opportunity for some success. And you tried. But at this point, given what's happened this season and where Mackenzie Milton is, why not do it? Why not go for it? Why not take this chance? It's one year. All Mackenzie wants is one year. That's all he's got. So this isn't anything long-term for him in terms of playing, but the long-term benefits to the locker room, I think is something that needs to be talked about, looked at and considered because you know, as well as I do, the imprint he left on that UCF locker room from the time that he was there, that cannot be measured. It cannot be measured. And I think Florida State is probably looking for something similar to that in the short time that they're going to have McKenzie with them. All right, you just wrote my column for me. I'm just going to transcribe this word for word. That that was perfect. (laughs) Happy to help. (laughs) Uh, All right, this was a perfect perfect start for Mike Norvell's rebuild, McKenzie Milton, and and you were the perfect start to our McKenzie Milton parade. So, Andrea, thank you so much for joining me here on, on the bench today. Appreciate it. Again, congrats on on the hustle there and and years of hard work to uh, be in position to break the story. Thank you, Brendan. Always a pleasure coming on. All right. Joining us next from uh, my, I guess my brother's site at nights two, four, seven heading up the McKinsey Milton parade. He's someone who apparently uh, just, just following the same footprints as McKinsey Milton in his time at UCF is Jason B. He does such a great job for us at nights two, four, seven, uh, works really, really hard. He's the publisher there. Jason, welcome to On the Bench. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the parade, the KZ parade. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's a it's a fun parade to be a part of. Uh, a little different than 2017's parade with McKenzie and UCF, but uh, this, this, will, <laughs> this will surely do. So you're unique in the sense that you're covering the team professionally. You've helped cover them in, in different ways and avenues through your time at UCF. But but like me, you were a student at UCF and you covered the team while there. And uh, you told me right before we started recording, you started in 2016 at UCF, the same exact year as? Mackenzie Milton and Scott <laughs> Frost and Scott Frost. But. And Scott Frost. Hey, you're so you're the good luck charm. I was there. I was there covering some four and eight teams. So you're the good luck charm. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. It was, uh, you know, it was if he if he didn't go there, I would have gone somewhere else with him. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you're both from uh, from paradises, right? Aren't you from Key West? Yeah, Key West, born and raised. I'm a Kong. He, we've talked about that. My I've been to Hawaii a couple times. My dad's uh, one of my dad's good friends lives out there, so we've talked about the mm-hmm. islands and and growing up in such a unique area. Uh, definitely have that connection as well. All right. So when was the first time? you got to meet Mackenzie Milton, got to interview him. I guess, how, how old were you at the time? And uh, was he a big deal yet at that point? Yeah. I mean, for me, I was a freshman in 2016, as was he, um, you know, a lot of people kind of forget about that 2016 season. Everyone likes to put the storybook together and say, Oh, they went Oh, and 12 and then 13 and Oh, and it was like, no, there was a six and seven season in between there. Uh, and I, you know, I, I wasn't, truly the publisher yet um we had previous publishers ryan bass and juan Taribio on the beat i was just the team photographer uh so i was kind of in a unique position where i was always on the field taking photos and uh really got to see a different side of the team there um i remember the first time you know being in a photographer players reach out to you and they ask for photos and then they give you they never give you photo credit you know that's that's part of the part of the life as a photographer i think a lot of photographers can relate to that but i remember one of the first times mckenzie asked me for a couple photos um it wasn't during the 2016 season i might have interacted with him then but really in that that spring uh following his freshman season i really got to talk with him and uh you know as i became a bit more of a a writer and more of just a photographer for nights 24 7 uh was really when uh, I had an opportunity to talk with him and get to know him a bit. Um, you know, I've, I've interacted with him. And when, once that, you know, kind of started talking, he and I would, you know, kind of a first name basis. He got to know me a bit more. I got to know him a bit better. Um, and then the 2017 season happened and uh, I was no one. No, <laughs> he was still really nice to me and uh, really good. And, and I never had any issues interviewing him or talking with him. Um, you know, if I wanted to get him one-on-one, he'd give me the time of the day. Uh, and if I saw him out in public, we'd chat for a little bit. Um, but he's he's great with media. He really is. That's good to hear. That's encouraging. Uh, do you call him Casey or McKenzie? Uh, I, I personally, when I'm in person with him, I'll call him McKenzie. Um, I'm not a huge, you know, nickname person in terms of like, if I know the person, unless that's all they go by. Like mm-hmm. I, had a, I have a friend named JT, but his real name is John. I've never called him John in my life. But I feel like for me, professionally and personally, it'd be weird to call him KZ. But mm-hmm. when I'm messaging about him or, or posting updates about him, I'll usually say KZ to save time on second reference instead of Milton. So the KZ, uh, the KZ nickname has been funny because we were talking about this a few days ago to see the FSU fan base figure out like who's KZ. Like there it's been the source of confusion. Have you enjoyed that from far away for them kind of slowly figuring out who, who that is? Yes. Yeah. No, that, that was really funny to see because I just kind of figured like, you know, I, I don't remember the first time they never, they never always called him uh, KZ. It was always McKenzie, like dealing with media. And then the first couple of times I heard it, that makes a lot more sense. But uh, watching that from afar on the message boards was really fun for me. Uh, cause it was like, you know, I know him so well and I, I, I covered him daily for years and then to see such confusion, you know, <laughs> it was definitely a moment for me. That was, that was great to watch. It was a reminder to me as someone who went to UCF and enjoys watching UCF as a fan, that it's still a bubble, even though it's become kind of a national, you know, with the 2017, 2018 runs, somewhat of a, of a national brand, uh, that there's still a lot of people who, who don't really pay a lot of attention 
to UCF. But now Florida State fans are closely going back and watching UCF games of Mackenzie Milton. Uh, for you, for you, Jason, you got to go through your vantage point of of his progression as a player from where he was in 2016, that season where he's he's kind of thrown into the fire, and then where he was up to 2018 uh, before his injury. Yeah, absolutely. I think one part of his story that gets forgotten a lot, and there was reporting done about it at the time, but this was before UCF was on the national stage. Mackenzie Milton almost left UCF after the 2016 season. Uh, you know, UCF wasn't good at that time. They had some potential and and no one really knew who he or Shaquem Griffin were, uh, you know, and, and they went to the, the Cure Bowl and they lost to Arkansas State and UCF fans were booing him. And that summer between the six, they were booing him. I don't remember that. They were booing him Uh, off the field uh, because he, you know, back and forth the whole season, he and Justin Holman battled for the, the starting spot. It was kind of obvious. Everyone knew McKenzie was Scott Frost's guy. So kind of put Justin Holman, uh, maybe a name UCF fans haven't heard in a few years uh, in a, in a weird spot, but um, you know, McKenzie started a few games and then eventually took over the job. Uh, conveniently when Justin Holman was dealing with a few injuries. Um, and then in the Cure Bowl, he was actually benched and, and booed off the field. And, and after the 2017 season, um, you know, I'll go back and, and talk about his development. But I remember sitting down with McKenzie uh, in 2018 one time. I can't tell. I don't remember the exact week or whatever. But I'll never forget this. I asked him, what do you remember more? Moments from the Cure Bowl or moments from the Peach Bowl? And he said, honestly, Jason, the Cure Bowl uh, sits with me more. Uh, obviously he does remember a lot about the peach bowl and that run and that team and those moments. Uh, but absolutely curable. He, you know, he, he had a lot of, there's a cat. My, 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 my cat is now with me, but uh, he, my dog's behind me. So we got, we got our buddies with us. (laughs) He has a lot of memories from that 16 season and, and the curable. And, but yeah, that summer he, he, you know, he had a a come to Jesus talk and, uh, and he really had to, sit down and think about is this is this what i want to do and, and thankfully for ucf fans he he gave up on the party and not like he was a big partying but he really gave up on all the extracurriculars i would say mm-hmm. and and put in the work and, and what we saw was someone who went from you know an average quarterback with a lot of potential to someone almost at the prime of his game you know prior to the injury we wouldn't we, we don't know exactly what he would have done if he hadn't gotten hurt but that was some of the best football he's ever played. And that was some of the best football any quarterback UCF has ever played. I mean, his ability to uh, run and extend plays and, and and the ability to throw down, down the field to guys like Jordan Aikens and Traquan Smith, who are both in the league now, uh, you know, he, no play was ever done until he had to, he had to say something about it. Uh, it, it was, he was, I think you wrote it yesterday. He's like a magician with the football. And, and it was every single time, you know, we see it a little bit with now Dylan Gabriel at UCF, but McKenzie, he was just something really special. Let's go into his game a little bit more. Thank you for shouting out the magician article. And that is, <laughs> and I obviously enjoyed watching him at the time, but then to go back and, and see how crafty he was with the ball. He was like a point guard running, running an offense basically with some of the mm-hmm. reads he would make and the improvisational skills. If you can boil it down to like his three greatest strengths as a quarterback at his peak, obviously we'll talk about the injury and, and how that may impact him moving forward. But, but pre-injury uh, the, the three best things about, about his game that kind of stood out to you over the course of, of watching Casey's career. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is his scrappiness uh, for me, you know, he wasn't afraid to take a hit. 
or, or scramble around and his ability to just kind of get out of tackles was really impressive. You know, we saw that on display uh, against Auburn in the Peach Bowl when he scored that running touchdown. He kind of dove over and dove and dove in. And then in 2018, the play that FSU fans might not know about, but he the play where he uh, flipped over a couple of Memphis defenders that in the in the rain on a on a come on a come from behind big three that was called that play for UCF was called the fly in Hawaiian. He flipped over and there's a great photo that someone took feet above the head. Uh, totally flipped in. So he wasn't afraid to get hit. Uh, you know, we've talked, I've talked with him about his toughness. And uh, so I would say the scrappiness and, and his toughness are two really big things. And then obviously the, the ability to, you know, throw deep. Uh, I was looking at uh, his stats the other day, just reminiscing on, on how special of a player he was. I mean, his, in 2017, he averaged his, his passing average per pass was like over 20 yards. Uh, you know, his ability to, throw it over the middle and, and really read the, read the uh, field really well. Um, so I would, I would just say his scrappiness, his, his toughness and his big, his big arm is, uh, is really impressive. Someone asked me on the message board the other day and, and I had my theories. I didn't go too much into it, but they were trying to figure out like, what is the statistical decline? And it wasn't a huge one, but from 2017 to 2018, he went from being an elite quarterback to a very good one statistically what would you say were some of the factors to explain that for that, for that listener? Yeah. And if you've watched UCF from 2017 to 2018 to 2019 to 2020, unfortunately you've continued to see that decline. I'm not saying Dylan Gabriel isn't the guy he, he definitely is. Uh, you know, if he, if he can put up Heisman numbers next season, but I think that's part of Josh Heupel's offense, unfortunately, it's a bit more vertical. It's a bit more stretched out compared to Scott Frost's. Uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel can definitely run, and they and they allow him to run, and they let him use design quarterback runs. But I wouldn't say we saw that as much in 2017 to 2018 from Scott Frost to Josh Heupel, and that's just who Josh Heupel is as a play caller. Uh, you know, it's it's not as run heavy. It's it's passing vertical. It's taking deep shots down the field. I mean, you look at the stats now, I think, I don't think any quarterback has completed more uh, 40 plus yard passes than Dylan Gabriel this entire season. And I saw that the other day, but if I had to guess, that's probably still true, even though he's played less games than a couple of these quarterbacks. Uh, you know, I think the decline, very, very small decline. Um, I think, you know, in Josh Heupel's first season with McKenzie, I don't. I wouldn't say that was his entire playbook compared to what we've seen in 2019 and 2020. It was definitely a hybrid variation of his and and what they were running in 2017. And obviously, if you know your Mackenzie Milton confident as ever coming off that 17 season, you see what's working. You know, I think his ability to extend plays. He's definitely still going to use his feet. Uh, you know, maybe not as much under Josh Apple, but I think that's definitely part of the de- the decline, if that's what you want to even call it. Yeah, de- decline's probably not the best way to phrase it, but you just go from being elite to, to very good. Uh, yeah. It's still pretty impressive, his numbers, if you go back and look at 2018. And, and for our listeners, uh, the Josh Heupel offense that Jason's referring to, very similar to what FSU ran in 2019 with Kendall Bryles, that, that, that space and pace type of offense where you do take a lot of vertical shots, whereas the Scott Frost offense was kind of like a West Coast spread hybrid type of deal where you got McKenzie rolling out a lot more and, and him moving some. So uh, let's go to the unpleasant part of this, the, the injury in 2018. And I think Florida state fans know there was an injury. No, it was a, 
a catastrophic one, but were you there at USF and, and kind of what, what's going through your mind as you're seeing that? I have friends who were there and, and like their girlfriends were crying because the significance of, of KZ and, and understand how serious that was in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even though uh, once I took over the nights 24-7, I still continued to be a photographer just because I love photography and I, I wanted to keep doing that. And, you know, it's it's been different this season sitting so long in the press box because of COVID-19 with limited field access. But I was still a photographer uh, and I love being on the field. So because of that, I was I was on the field at Raymond James Stadium. I was taking photos of the play and I, I'll never forget this. I turned to my friend Eileen, who now shoots for, New, for the New York Times, I turned to her. We, we both had the same face. I did not like what I saw on my camera lens. Uh, and, and as a, after the play, I, I, I looked around a bit more and I saw UCF's tight end, Michael Cuyable, his face just up in the air and then uh, his head in his hands. You know, everyone knew instantly something had just gone terribly wrong. Uh, I did not like what I saw when I took that photo uh, of, of Mackenzie getting hit and then afterwards. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget what what did you what did you see when looking? Yeah, at, I mean, at the camera? I, I didn't get the direct hit because I was kind of it was on the left. I suppose for me, it was on the left side, but it was on the right side when they were going down the field. It was around the 25, 30 yard line, and, and it was just after I I didn't get a photo of the direct hit. You know, mm-hmm. I did, but I couldn't see like his leg breaking. I suppose, but I saw the leg dangling, oh. and and you know. I, I've seen, you know, where kids might think they had gotten seriously injured and they're holding their ankle and then they, they lay down on the ground and it looks really bad. And then the trainers come over and he jogs off on his own power. Right. It's like, well, what was all that about? Uh, but in that moment, the way the leg was dangling, I'll, I'll never forget that. And I was zoomed in on it. It was oh. I had to look away. It was it was awful. Um, and then the, the stadium just went quiet. It, it was a rival game. Uh, between USF and UCF, it was one of the better games in 2017. And these schools do not like each other. But in that moment, uh, it was it was silence. And, and no one knew how serious it was. Uh, you know, we could tell it was serious. But I don't think even Mackenzie's mom knew how serious it was that not only did he have a 50-50 shot of losing his leg, but he could have died from the injury. Uh, you know, the doctors talked about that. And, and Mackenzie's mom has done interviews over the years about that just just how serious, you know, it wasn't that he tore his ACL or his MCL or any of those ligaments, but the artery and, and the blood issue that he had. Uh, I don't think a lot of people truly understand how serious of an injury that is. And I think maybe people got a bit more of an idea with uh, Alex Smith and his injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was at the game and it's something I'll never forget, unfortunately. Let's talk about the rehab process and covering that. And that's been well documented. I know you've written on it. We had Andrea on right before you and she talked about, and she's written about it extensively as well. Uh, But this may be a good time to kind of paint the picture of of one with that rehab process, how long it's been, what it's been through. And and then two, uh, maybe Jason, if you will, the, uh, the way his teammates have responded to him throughout this time, or his former teammates. Now, I think that's an interesting element as well. Yeah. And, and that's the crazy thing. Uh, Thankfully they were in Tampa. If they had been in East Carolina or Houston or, 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 you know, another smaller school somewhere in the middle of America, uh, who knows what would have happened. They were, you know, miles away from Tampa general and, and they were able to get him in surgery uh, right away. And, and I think that's why he still has his leg today, honest to God. Uh, and, and since then he's had multiple surgeries. Um, you know, it's, it's been a long, tough, hard rehab process. I think he was the one who revealed to Andrea that, 
Uh, he did, in fact, have an infection. That was something that was not known before. That's what Alex Smith dealt with and, and all those disgusting photos of, of Smith's leg and how black it was. And, you know, that's, that's part of the infection process. Um, you know, with, with McKenzie, he had to do not only regain his strength and his, and his movement, but uh, the nerve, the nerve ending. You know, that was the, big, the biggest positive that came out that evening. It was a long night after he got hurt and he went into surgery immediately. That's how you knew it was really bad. Uh, the next day or the day after, he was able to move his toes. And, and that doesn't sound big, but that was a huge, huge, huge sign that, okay, the nerves are you know, they're not, they're not, there's not much there, but there's some movement down there. There's some feeling. Uh, and, and along that process over the past couple of years, we talked about reporting on it. Um, you know, a lot of it came from social media. Um, you know, he has a really close knit circle with his doctors and, and his family. Um, you know, his mom would share updates and, and some videos on her Instagram story that were huge. Anytime uh, she would post something, it was probably related to McKenzie. Uh, and, and, and reporting on that was really interesting because, uh, he would fly out to Minnesota and he's going to Minnesota, Minneapolis, to the Mayo clinic, one of the best surgery centers in the world for this type of thing, specifically for, uh, orthopedic surgery. Uh, I think he told Andrea, he's going back out there for another, or Mike Bianchi. I don't remember who he told, but, uh, he's going back out there for another checkup. That's supposed to be a formality. Um, he had a big checkup over the summer where basically he was told that he could start practicing and, and wearing a brace and, uh, doing normal things. Um, and then recently, just, just, just over this past, over this past football season, we've seen photos and video of him running, running around and, and, and looking fast. And he shared some social, some, uh, video of him on social media that I've, that I recorded off of his Instagram story that, (laughs) uh, the past couple of days, a lot of FSU fans have discovered and they're, and they're sharing that all over the feed and saying, okay, this kid can still, this kid still has it because a lot, a lot of people, while UCF was a national brand, I think a lot of people, you know, forgot that Mackenzie Milton, how good of a quarterback he was. And they just think of the injury and think, Oh, there's no way. And then you look at that scout footage that he shared and the stories that have been told from all that over the past two years, it's like, oh, he's, he's still has some potential. You know, the biggest question that he's talked about is, is taking a hit and, and what that's going to feel like and what that's going to be like. Obviously there are different people, different situations, different ages, but you look at Alex Smith and taking hits from Aaron Donald and, and guys like that. Um, that's got to be a confidence booster for KZ. So through some separate reporting, both Josh Newberg and myself have heard encouraging things about KZ's work on the scout team. Uh, one, do you know if he got any sort of contact at all when you mentioned the contact and what it's going to feel like? I can't imagine he's had any uh, from what we've heard, but, but have you heard any? And then secondly, Jason, uh, just what have you heard about like how he looked uh, through this this past year, whether seeing the videos, uh, talking to different players, coaches, whatever, how how Casey looked on the scout team. Yeah, that was one of the biggest questions entering UCF's regular season finale against South Florida. Obviously, he was returning to Raymond James Stadium two years later from the time when he suffered the injury at the same field. A lot of questions were going to be, well, does he play? Does he play pickup time at the end of the game? Or does he go out there for a you know sentimental kneeling down to end the game? Uh, you know, sources had said before leading up to that that he truly had not taken a hit. Uh, and he and he hadn't taken a hit yet. Um, he was not 100%, and he still isn't 100%, to be honest with you. Uh, he, his mom said the other day he was 90%. You know, what does that mean? 
I think it's a good positive sign, right? He's not 75%, but he's 90%. That's closer to 100. I'm not a math guy, but that tells me it's probably a good thing. Uh, you know, but entering the South Florida game, we had heard that he did not want to do that whole sentimental go out for one more knee, his final snap as a UCF Knight. Uh, and, and as tough as that was, I respect his decision, uh, and I, I completely understand that. And he was able to do whatever he wanted to do. We saw it before the game. He went over with a couple of his teammates and and kneeled down and took a long prayer uh, at the spot where he got hit and, and the spot where he suffered the injury. Uh, you know, So I had heard that he wasn't 100% then. He's not 100% now. And he truly, I don't think he has taken a true hit, uh, You know, maybe touched a little bit, you know, he's probably not hundred percent touch free, but he's not getting tackled. He's not out there, you know, getting hit just yet, but he will be soon. He will be soon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he will be. And uh, <sighs> yes, he will have that, that opportunity at Florida state. Uh, he, they obviously the doctors at FSU have to check and, and clear him just like how UCF doctors did this, this past year. So that is a variable still, but, but one I think FSU is encouraged by on, on all the homework they've done. Last question here for you, Jason. Um, what do you want to do? You want to take? I'll give you a choice here. Do you want to talk uh, McKinsey Milton legacy question, or do you want a question on uh, how we got to FSU? Which one would you would you prefer to answer? Man, that's tough. Let, let's go FSU. I think that's still really interesting to me. The timing behind all of it. All right, let's let's get into it. I, I, I peek behind the curtain. Uh, you were close to putting in the crystal ball, you said a few days ago, and I think he surprised everyone by how quickly he announced it. I thought we all thought there was going to be a little bit more time. I'm happy I got mine in just in time, humble brag. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so what did you hear about that process? And at what point did you kind of start thinking it was leaning in FSU's direction for McKenzie? And then how do you think that fit's going to work, knowing what you know about FSU and, and McKenzie? Yeah, absolutely. I think we were all kind of a bit surprised at the timing. Uh, you know, I didn't feel confident putting a ball in yet, but I had told a lot of people who had asked me, cause a lot of fans were asking me, are you going to put a crystal ball in? What do you, what's happening? what happens if we don't put one in? And I told people, I said, look, I think FSU might be the landing spot in the long run. But, uh, you know, he had said it, uh, you know, when he announced it, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe the whole month. Uh, I think, he, I think the, the reason he chose FSU uh, is because of the coaching connections. You look at all the schools that had initially contacted him, he had some sort of coaching connection. Everyone thought, oh, well, he's going to Nebraska, obviously, Scott Frost and all the former coaching staff that he brought out with him in Nebraska. Uh, you know, I think that made, I think that was an easy choice to say, oh, well, he has to be going to Nebraska. Well, then you start thinking, man, Nebraska's not that good. <laughs> it, it's cold in Nebraska. It's, it's, it's 10 degrees cold. It's, it's not, you know, 50, 40, it's, it's, it's freezing cold in Nebraska. And, and does he really want that? Uh, and does he really want to move all the way out to Nebraska? Um, there were, you know, I think from me, from my perspective, I will, I always thought he would probably end up staying in the state of Florida because why would you want to leave the state of Florida after playing here for five years? Uh, he's got family that have moved from Hawaii and that's a, that's a big decision and uh, for them to make. And um, I think, Obviously, we know that Mike Norvell had seen the best of McKenzie. He was on the wrong side of playing with McKenzie Milton, right? Uh, that was a lot of fun to poke to poke fun at when Norvell announced 808 to 850. And I said, you forgot the 407, Coach Norvell. The 407 part is is McKenzie's legacy. You want? I'll, 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 I'll get some McKenzie legacy in this answer as well. Trust me. 
Uh, what a pro. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. But I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to say there was less interest than expected. Um, but in terms of the, the timing and how quickly he made it, I think that might show that maybe there weren't as many schools interested in him because not only is it a gamble for him to go out and play football again, but it's a gamble on these schools. I think, uh, you know, if, if he's not a hundred percent and if he's not able to take a hit and, and not only physically, but mentally, the mental aspect of this, I think is the, is another really big, uh, question is he, I, I personally, I think, yes, he is. He, he is fine. He's a tough kid. Um, you know, he, he had, not like he was injury free at UCF. There had been some shoulder problems that he was dealing with and, and things like that, that he continued to play through over the years. Um, but I, I think for schools to say, all right, come on and start for us. And then he not be ready. That's a big gamble for that school as well. Um, but when you look at Mike Novell and, and the offensive system that FSU uses, I think it's a great fit. Uh, he, you know, McKenzie talked about three things with Mark Daniels and Mike Bianchi before he said he wants a good culture. He wants to win and he wants a good offensive line. A lot of people said, well, I don't think that's FSU. <laughs> uh, and, and, and maybe he said too much in that interview. Uh, maybe he was just saying that to say that. And, and I, I, you could call that uh, a player speak or coach speak, whatever you want to say, because obviously he wants a good offensive line. Obviously he wants to win. And why would he want to go to a toxic locker room? Um, but I, I don't think when he's talking about culture, the past four or five years for FSU may or may not have been the best, but I think he's talking more about the culture of the entire program overall. And that's why you look at Nebraska and, and they're winning back when Scott Frost was playing. Uh, that could have been another school that he could have gone to. And then another school that, that had, you know, maybe he was interested in or they were interested in him, Arkansas State uh, with, with uh, Jeff Levy out there and, and, and Lane Kiffin. Uh, sorry, that was Old Miss. Uh, I just mixed up Arkansas State and Old Miss. And Old Miss, uh, uh, Kendall Bryles is that Kendall Bryles? Sorry, and, 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 and he's Levy. Jeff Levy's uh, brother-in-law. Well, documented. That's my that's my bad. Totally mixed that up. Uh, but with, with Arkansas State, Kendall Bryles, the brother-in-law of Jeff Levy, uh, the tight end coach there, John Cooper, who was coaching at UCF, coaching connections. That was the thing to follow. Uh, you know, some people had said maybe Derek King down in Miami, if he leaves, they'll, they'll go after him. I think Miami was playing it too slow. And, and while McKenzie had said, yes, I want to make a decision by the end of the month, um, you know, in retrospect, maybe we should have known that he was going to make a decision pretty quickly. Uh, and, and I think FSU makes a lot of sense for a number of reasons. One, he has the connections. They are a good winning historically program. They have had great quarterbacks come through. Uh, the offensive system they use is a great fit for McKenzie and he stays in state. He stays out of the freezing cold. He doesn't have to drive home. He doesn't have to drive far away from Orlando. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how loyal he rem- he remains to UCF and, and, or if he's just going to forget about UCF, I don't think he will, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that uh, develops over the next year or so. But um in retrospect, FSU makes a lot of sense for McKenzie, actually. For someone who has a, a titanium rod in their leg, I could say when it's nice and warm compared to when it's cold, it makes a difference. So uh, understandable that, that McKenzie did not want to go too far north. We had heard Nebraska, Michigan State, some of the schools, and, and those seemed to not really ever be super heavily considered. All right, Jason. Um, I think that's everything. Uh, thank you for, for partaking in our, our KZ parade. <laughs> absolutely it, it was it was fun talking about mckenzie and uh i'll be rooting for him and 
and uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how he does. And I'm, I'm sure spring ball will be really fun to report on and, and over the summer and uh, into the season, if he's hundred percent healthy and ready to go, I think FSU fans uh, might see some more respect for UCF next season. If McKenzie's able to do what he did at UCF. All right. I love it. I love it. All right. Thanks for joining <laughs> us on the bench, Jason. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, joining us now, the tail end of the McKenzie Milton Parade, the welcoming parade to Tallahassee, a legend in Central Florida. I'm, I'm frankly a little bit nervous having him on because he's usually the one asking me questions on his radio program, and he's so damn good at it. So I, I have a lot to live up to here. It's Mark Daniels. He's the voice of UCF Athletics, UCF radio play-by-play announcer for, I think, 25, 26 years now. And, uh, and he's also the host of the Beat of Sports on 96.9 FM and 9, sorry, 740 AM, the game in Orlando. Mark, welcome to On the Bench. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you. You're very kind with the introduction. I'm glad to be part of the parade. The parade. I, I don't know what you call the tail end of the parade, but it's like kind of, I don't, don't tell the other people. Don't tell Andrea and Jason, but it's, it's the best for last. Okay. The big floats, right? That's at the end. Yeah. Big, like a fireworks show. The big finish. Yeah. As you're the, you're the fireworks. You're the one yeah. that makes everyone say, Ooh, ah, <laughs> uh. so your, uh, your knowledge of, of UCF athletics is immense and, and tough to beat, frankly. And let's start there with, with McKenzie Milton and, and your time covering, covering UCF, uh, what would you say the legacy of McKenzie Melton is from his time at UCF? And just, just where does he rank in, in some of the, the most famous athletes to, to go through the, the athletic program? You know, McKenzie's uh, arc at UCF is a fascinating one. I think there's three chapters of McKenzie. McKenzie Milton, he's the, you know, the quarterback that came here with Scott Frost, that Scott Frost made a decision early in McKenzie's freshman year to kind of go all in with him and and, and uh, made a decision to, to, to start McKenzie when he had an experienced quarterback in Justin Holman here. And I think fans saw a glimpse of what McKenzie could be. We lost a double overtime game against Maryland, and he showed flashes of this uh, exciting player that could roll out and keep plays alive and throw on the run, and he made freshman mistakes and, 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 and yet made some big plays. And, and yet the freshman year ended um, on a rough note. Um, it wasn't a great end of the year. I think McKenzie and, and, and some of his offensive teammates um, maybe didn't see eye to eye. The story's been documented. He kind of had some thoughts about, was he going to go back to Hawaii? And Scott Frost kind of wondered what he had. And, you know, whatever was the key moment, something, you know, mom moving to Orlando kind of helped. And then Things just changed and, and had a magical 2017, which we all know about. And you began to see the development of this confident quarterback um, that wasn't asked to be the sole voice and leader. Shaquem Griffin played such a big role with that in that 2017 team. But McKenzie certainly became the focal point in offense, the undefeated season that UCF had. And then the significant role that I think McKenzie played when Josh Heupel came in. You know, the coaching change was unique. But I think the fact that McKenzie was a big part of embracing Coach Heupel played a big role in the rest of his teammates. And then the unfortunate injury was the third a chapter for McKenzie where, you know, fans uh, were more concerned about his health and well-being and the opportunity to live a normal life. And uh, was more of a spiritual connection, I think, uh, to McKenzie 
um, that was that part of his relationship. And then what many think is, you know, the ultimate teammate decision to decide what he felt was best, which was to make a, a, a move to leave and, and, and not create what could have been an awkward situation for Dylan Gabriel at UCF and, and, and a new chapter for McKinsey at Florida State. But one of the more unique uh, individuals of my 26 years at UCF to uh, to meet and cover, get to know over the years, I wish him nothing but the best. And that rare combination of a great athlete on the field that might even be more special uh, off the field. I know you spend so much time kind of focusing the dynamics of, of either sports marketing or optics with with sports and then how different situations are perceived. That's one of the things I've always, when I was, especially in Central Florida, like love listening to your radio program because you thought outside the box in that regard. The way UCF handled the McKinsey Milton departure, to me, outside looking in, seemed to be one of the most brilliantly done uh, situations because it was handled so delicately and with the Dylan Gabriel dynamic that you mentioned, Mark, uh, I guess, how, what were your thoughts on, on how that was handled from, from looking at it, you know, externally and internally? Well, uh, you know, I said this, that, that, that if Dylan Gabriel was from Chicago, Illinois and had no connection to McKinsey Milton, it's a different process. It just is. I mean, even though they would have known each other for a couple of years, um, it, 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 it's just different. Uh, Dylan Gabriel knew McKenzie Milton when he just learned how to throw football. And their connection predates UCF by not just a few months, but you're talking about years. I mean, Dylan Gabriel's at UCF because of McKenzie Milton. And um, he followed an idol to come across the world from Hawaii to Orlando. And those two are truly connected. It's a big brother, little brother relationship. And I think even for those inside the program, you think you understand how close they are, but but I'm not quite sure anybody knows it outside of those two, which makes the story even more dynamic that both of them understood um, what was the potential uh, of what could have been and the awkwardness of one playing, the other not playing, one making a mistake, fans asking for this one and that one. And I don't think there's anything wrong about either wanting to be, and I say selfish in the sense of wanting to compete and play, not compete against each other only, but wanting to play the position at UCF. And I think both understood each wants to play. And I think McKinsey knew that he was the one that could control the situation to make it not as awkward for both Dylan Gabriel and for UCF. And those discussions, uh, you know, had gone on for months, all knew that there was some sense of ultimate decision that had to be made before you even got into January 21. So it wasn't something that took two weeks. That was something that had been discussed internally for a while. And I think McKinsey was the one not focused week to week on preparing for a game like Dylan was, that he was able to maybe think through this a little bit more. So you mentioned the different chapters in, in McKenzie's career. Uh, at what point, I guess, I guess some, I would imagine somewhere between chapter one and chapter two, did, did you realize that he could be special? I know it happened so quickly in hindsight, but do you have a, like an aha moment where you're like, oh, this kid has got something that, that UCF can really build around? Um, you know, coming into 2017, again, the way 2016 ended, UCF, uh, uh, you know, went to a bowl game after being winless, but lost the bowl game. And, and, and we didn't play that well at the end of the season. And, you know, 2017 starts, you don't know how the year is going to go. They blew out Maryland, just destroyed Maryland. And you kind of felt like, "Eh, there's something kind of interesting here. Um, And and, uh, that game, even though he he didn't light it up, you just saw a little bit of a confidence. Like, okay, he kind of gets this offense. And you began to see elements of what Scott Frost wanted to do. And it began to kind of 
uh, you know, play itself out. We went to Cincinnati and uh, by then you knew UCF had something special, but, but, but they never uh, uh, stopped UCF. Cincinnati, uh, every possession, uh, we had seven touchdowns and a field goal, I think. And uh, the rain stopped the game with seven and a half minutes to go. And simply because I think Cincinnati is like, what is the point? I mean, we, you know, we haven't stopped them yet. Um, so, so uh, again, the, uh, the maturation of him during that year, you could just kind of see a confidence in what Scott Frost wanted to do it began to click. Um, I do think the blowout at Maryland made people realize, hmm, even though Maryland had some injuries themselves, it's the way UCF did it that sent a message. They beat Memphis pretty soundly that first matchup they played them. The game against Cincinnati, they you know uh, had it rolled in by then. And uh, you could just see this quarterback that had that it factor. I mean, I think college football fans, though, you watch somebody and like, okay, that's just different than being a really good player. And and look, he he was surrounded by a really good offense. You look at some guys that have gone on to play in the NFL, that offense, Traquan Smith, Gabriel Davis are playing in the NFL. Uh, Jordan Aiken's a tight end, is playing in the NFL. Uh, Adrian Killens has been on a practice squad. Um, so, so there's some guys that, you know, he was surrounded with, but, but he was the catalyst of that offense that just kind of got it going. Or people who maybe aren't super familiar with his game just know that he put up some really prolific numbers at, at UCF. Is what would you tell them about what he, McKenzie does particularly well at quarterback? And you've seen some pretty good quarterbacks go through UCF as well. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what he's really good. He, he his pre-snap readability is, I think, excellent. I think McKenzie, first off, he studies film. Uh, uh, really, really good. I mean, people that are experts at this will tell me that. And he sees that field and understands what's going to happen. Defensive alignment, what they're trying to disguise. He reads that so well um, that I think Florida State fans are going to see somebody that when they, you know, whatever we call huddles these days, he, it, it, there's very little he hasn't recognized when he sees the opposition lineup. So with that, I always felt it gave him an advantage to whatever they were trying to run. He knew, okay, if the uh, original call doesn't work, I know what my second, third, and fourth options are, and I'll find something there. The other thing that I think McKenzie was excellent at is keeping a play alive, trusting the pocket, or if I got to go left or right, I know that either uh, my wide receiver is going to follow me or I know something's going to be there. Countless times he did that. Even though the ability of running the football before the injury was a factor, he was a guy that was patient, trust the line at the same time, trust the play to still develop. So his pre-snap read, I thought, was fantastic. And, um, you know, I think Florida State fans will, will, will recognize that. The ability of throwing on the run, the ability of that flick, um, that is something just to, to, to snap that football 30 yards in the right spot is what people will see of his throwing ability. But he's a really smart quarterback that understands defenses really well. Were you surprised that he landed at Florida State? I know some people were initially. I know Bianchi wrote like he thought Nebraska, for example, was the perfect fit. I, I guess how did you see when you found out McKenzie was transferring? Like where did you think he was going to go? And, and ultimately, is, is Florida State the, the place that you thought was going to have a chance? Yeah, you know, Brendan, uh, the, the, the 2020 season and all the chaos, I think, is a, a, a factor in, in all of this. We have what now? We have uh, almost 600 players in the transfer portal. We have, I think, about 40 quarterbacks in the portal. Uh, you follow recruiting more than I do. A lot of these guys will not find homes uh, and, and, and be left with no place to play. I think for McKinsey, there was a little bit of a calendar factor here. Um, let's make a decision. 
Let's do it where I can get my name out there. Let me find out what the market is. Let me then kind of weed through some things about maybe serious people versus those that have a casual interest. Let me try to answer as many medical questions as I can for people. And then ultimately weed that down to whatever number and then make a decision. I'll be honest. I did think Florida State at first was a name for some of the legitimate uh, questions. You know, Coach Norvell just got there. Um, It's a football team that's trying to rebuild itself. It's an offensive line that's had some struggles, you know, the last couple of years. Um, And and that was a spot you're like, "Hmm, I'm not not quite sure. But maybe as that process began, and this isn't meant to be a criticism, you may have some brands that from a timing standpoint, weren't ready to do a full evaluation of McKinsey. You know, the, the medical part of it's a legitimate point. And were teams ready to kind of you know, digest that, dissect it, uh, decide, is this a risk that that, that that we feel like we want to take? At the same time, McKinsey, I think, had some deadlines of, I want to find a place, be able to get registered for school by January, be ready to practice as fast as I can to learn an offense. Then I think that's where maybe familiarity, uh, uh, you know, what Mike Norvell comes into play, having seen what Memphis ran, understanding what their offense was, Something may have given Florida State an advantage versus some other schools that may have said, look, we're kind of interested. We'll get back to you. And maybe that's what pushed Florida State uh, towards, uh, you know, a top spot. And look, the opportunity to play in the ACC. I mean, you know what the 2021 schedule for Florida State is. It is a brutal schedule. And maybe he welcomes that opportunity for competition. And all those things led to a decision to say, look, I'm ready to go now. Um, You know, the Nebraska thing was a natural dot that I think people wanted to speculate. I just think that, you know, I I think think Scott Frost got some things that he's trying to still figure out in Nebraska with a quarterback room that um, he's still trying to figure out. uh, You know, not that he would love McKenzie Milton. I just think that McKenzie may also realize, um, is that the best place to go either? But in the end, I think he chose a place that he feels comfortable with. And and, um, I wish him nothing but the best. I think that's what's interesting about this landing spot for McKenzie Milton in Florida State. It's, it's to me, it's like this imperfectly perfect marriage between the two sides. If Florida State obviously has its flaws that you mentioned, Mark, and McKenzie Milton has his flaws with basically the unknown with with the knee. So I think that's ultimately what what makes this interesting is there's there's a need for both sides. They both need each other in a certain way, uh, and they're both taking a risk on each other. And to me, I think that's. I want to get your thoughts, but I think there's something kind of special about about that need needing each other. Yeah, I think on the FSU side, it's no disrespect to the returning quarterbacks, but it's not like they've got someone that's got 25 starts under their belt. Right. You know, they have some potential, the quarterback spot um, that still may end up being very talented uh, uh, for them at Florida State. But I think it's different if you've got someone that's been a two year starter that's had some success and you're like, well, he's ready to, you know, uh, uh, to make the uh, next step. I think Mike Norvell probably feels like, boy, if I can get somebody in here to help that transition and to help my young quarterbacks not be thrown to the fire so fast, that really helps. And, and yeah, I think for McKinsey, a place that he can go in if healthy and realistically nail down that job because of experience. Um, uh, it certainly helps him. I, I, I don't think he would have chosen a place if he said, hey, one, I have to prove that I'm healthy, and two, I'm going to have to win the job at, you know, by mid-August. I, I, I'm not quite sure that would have been a destination for him. I think he likes a, a, the idea of a place that coming out of spring, and again, there's the injury part of it that we don't know, right. but feeling as if, hey, I, I, I know I'm the guy, um, and, and yet – he he probably will not take a hit until September the 5th, and that right. is the unknown here. 
You mentioned the, the injury. Uh, it's well documented. I know some Florida State fans, though, they know there's an injury, but they don't. If you didn't see it live, you maybe have a hard time understanding the significance of that injury. Uh, I know I remember where I was watching it and who was around me when it happened, Mark, for you, when, when you saw that occur in your vantage point, I guess what's going, going through your mind. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, you know, uh, UCF was in a battle with South Florida in that game. Things had not gone well offensively. Uh, you know, South Florida was doing some things defensively that kind of took UCF off their game a little bit. And um, I, I remember everything about the play and um, him going down and then just realizing that's not a typical he's on the ground after play. And within seconds, you kind of felt this is uh, um, more than just he's shaken up. And it was uh, it was chilling the silence in the stadium. I'll never forget um, the moment when they you know, lifted him up to take him out, uh, both teams, you know, uh, around him, uh, Daryl Mack, who took over at quarterback and led UCF in that game in the conference championship game, that touching moment of the two embracing. Um, and you just kind of felt, wow, this is, this is not how this incredible story is supposed to end. This is, I mean, this is, you know, before the injury, this was a 30 for 30. This was, you know, what if I told you this undersized quarterback from Hawaii uh, would go on to break every record that Tua Tonga Viola set and would decide to travel to Orlando, Florida to lead this football team to this incredible winning streak. Um, <laughs> that's the story that needed the, 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 the unbelievable finish, not the one that we ended up seeing. And then I do remember driving home that night. Um, my youngest daughter was with me. She was at the game as student at UCF at the time. And, and, and there was still a question of, will they be able to save his leg? And, 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 uh, I remember getting the news that, hey, you know, he went through surgery. He's got a long road ahead. But, you know, that part of it looks like, you know, it's going to be okay. Will he ever walk again normally? I don't know. Uh, will he ever play football? No. Of course, no one thought that. And and you're just hoping he would be able to live a normal life. And, um, you know, it, 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 it hit everybody in the UCF family. And, you know, the emotion of that football game the next week and the conference championship game against Memphis, um, that stadium, um, just uh, 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 the vibe was it, it was off and then to fall down by 17 points and think wait a minute this is how this is going to end this is not how this is supposed to end um, and then the dramatic win and you know the, 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 the pictures of his mom with him on the phone um, that's that that was the story uh, again that came back and stuff so I remember the injury the road back has been incredible Um uh, I think even some of the most passionate UCF fans still don't understand how difficult it was the setback with the infection that he had that really put him back about six months um, and just how mentally challenging it is to, to, to fight through that and uh, to get to the point where he is now. Let's end this on a, on a positive note, the road back. Uh, what's it been like to kind of see him you know, at practice and walking around, running around, being part of the football program again, where, again, the night of that injury mark, we're not sure if he's going to keep the leg or not. Uh, what's that been like to see this journey back for him? And I know it doesn't end at UCF, but it does seem like there's still a happy ending in store for, for McKenzie Milton. Yeah, it's been uh, one. It's been great over the year plus, um, you know, to, to be able to be around McKenzie at times. And, it's, you know, his mom has lived here for, for what, three years now. 
and his dad, you know, has come from Hawaii many times um, to, to, to watch his progress, be able to talk uh, just once in a while and fist bump and, 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 and just, you know, how you doing and check on him. And, um, and then uh, to be honest, the frustrating part of 2020, like you've dealt with, it's not the same, not being able to go to practice and not being able to, to be part of that, but to, to, to hear and, and see, uh, the progress from a distance of him being a scout team quarterback and hear people go, yeah, we got the best scout team quarterback in the country because no one runs a scout team um, like he does. And, um, you know, I, 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 I've said this both on my radio show, I've said it to others um, and it's selfish on my part. I, I am incredibly jealous of someone that I uh, uh, idolize and that being the great Gene Deckerhoff that he'll have the opportunity to have that moment of when McKenzie Milton returns to the football field and uh, calls that moment. Um, Cause it's something that I wish that I would have been able to do, but if I can't do it, the fact that Gene Deckerhoff's going to do it, believe me, is fine by me. Um, I will hold my breath uh, for that moment. I, I, I hope that first hit comes and it means nothing and that he gets up and goes on to play. And um, I will root like him, uh, I, I mean, I will root for him like crazy because um, I love Mackenzie Milton. He uh, uh, gave me incredible moments to call as a broadcaster. He's a he's a great young man that has overcome so much that has a dream uh, to keep playing uh, a sport that he loves. And I wish him well at Florida State. I will root for him every time he plays. And uh, I, I, I hope that the storybook finish is not just a year at Florida State. I hope it's an opportunity to play at the next level. Um, because, uh, you know, when he was on in the past, I, I, I believe he was as good as any quarterback in the country. And I think quarterbacks the last few years have chipped away at the, you gotta be six, three, two twenty-five pocket guys. I think we've seen the position evolve where players like him certainly could play at that, uh, uh next level. So I wish it was here, but I wish him well. It was a unique situation here. He leaves a legacy that is as great as anybody. Again, in my 26 years, I've been blessed to, to, to start with Dante Culpepper, to go through some other great players. And uh, Mackenzie Milton uh, certainly is among those that uh, uh, left their mark and a huge part of building the brand that UCF has become uh, during his time here. All right. Pri- fireworks were promised, and those are the fireworks. That's a great ending. <laughs> Mark, thanks so much for joining me. I hear on the bench. I know my listeners really appreciate your time. I do as well. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it, man. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to On the Bench, bringing up the rear on the McKenzie Milton parade, although Josh is not going to talk anything about McKenzie Milton, unless you want to, Josh. Welcome. Go Knights. What did you think of that? That was awesome. That was 
Uh, I'm sure you had a great time. I did. I did. All right. Well, your purpose in taking us off subject and and ruining the, uh, the ambiance that I've set with all McKenzie Milton and UCF love for the last hour is to fill the people in about what's coming on Wednesday and maybe a few days after too. And that's the early signing period. So I will let you take the floor, Josh. What, what are we looking for? Mm, Absolutely. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, Happy to be here on the bench. Uh, The early signing period begins on Wednesday, December 16th, and it runs through Friday, December 18th. Um, There's a, there's a window of basically three days where recruits can sign early. Now this doesn't mean that they are also enrolling early. Some of them will enroll early, but if you are planning to enroll in the summer, you can still lock your spot into the class on the early signing period. So it doesn't mean that all of these prospects will be entering uh, school in January. It just means that they've locked their spot in. So that's a good thing for FSU. Um, Florida State starts this week with 15 commitments from the high school ranks, and uh, they are currently ranked number 34 overall in the 24 team composite rankings and eighth in the ACC. Um, you can check out Knowles 24 seven for a full list of commitments, but I've been kind of think sitting here thinking for the past 24 hours on like, what is the primary storylines for Wednesday? Um, I think first and foremost, can FSU lock down all their current commits? Like I said, they have 15 heading into the day, uh, but we were kind of keeping our eye on two heading into this week, four-star corner, Amari and Cooper, from Fort Myers and Kimo McAnoli out of Niceville. Um, Zach Blostein of Knowles 24 seven got a hold of Amari and Cooper yesterday. I don't know. All the days run together, but Cooper said that he, Two days now, ago, but no one's counting. No yeah. One's <laughs> he will now sign with FSU on Wednesday, lock his spot in. He was flirting with Michigan, obviously Michigan not having the best season. So maybe it solidified some things there. Um, so the one recruit that we're going to watch is Kimo McAnoli. Uh, his high school season ended over the weekend in the state playoffs, but he's been flirting with LSU. Um, Kimo has told us that he intends to sign in February, but we know that the FSU staff is working behind the scenes to, to secure his signature in December. Um, so he's a guy that we're going to keep an eye on tomorrow. And then, of course, potential signing day surprises. I mean, who doesn't love a good signing day surprise? Do you like it when people ask you to talk about the signing day surprises? Because it wouldn't be a surprise if, if you knew. If, it, if I knew, right. Um, 24 hours before signing day, it's okay to, you, for me to talk about. You are enjoying it. I can see the body language. Josh is like gyrating right now. This yeah. is uh, we Josh got, recruiting mood, mode. 24 hours ago, I wouldn't have necessarily counted Destin Hill as a surprise recruit. Um, the four-star receiver out of Louisiana was expected by most experts to sign with Florida state on Wednesday. I think there's 14 crystal ball predictions on Hill and 100% of them are on the Seminoles. So it looked like FSU was going to secure a major commitment on Wednesday, but then yesterday Hill announced on Twitter that he's going to sign in February. No reason given Um, still haven't really been able to get that reason behind the scenes on, on what's happening there. But Destin Hill doesn't say much. So for him to come out and say that um, it's pretty significant, Uh, but that, so it makes it a surprise tomorrow if he does indeed sign. Um, 
don't expect them to, but it'll definitely be something that we're keeping an eye on. Some other big surprises would be potentially four-star quarterback, Jake Garcia. I feel like Florida state got their guy in Mackenzie Milton, but Jake Garcia decommitted from USC a couple weeks ago and came out and said Miami and FSU were the two primary teams involved in his recruitment moving forward. Um, I think he signs with Miami, but that's one to watch as well. And then of course with Auburn, uh, losing their head coach, Gus Malzahn. There's a couple recruits there for the taking. Um, FSU is working hard to flip four-star defensive tackle Lee Hunter. He's one of the top defensive tackles in the Southeast. And the Knowles are going to make a run at him. Um, some people still feel that the uh, that Hunter is going to sign with Alabama or Auburn despite them not having a head coach. But FSU is going to work and try to make that flip on signing day. Um, one last prospect that I want to mention to keep an eye on is Katravian Hargrove. He's a four-star running back out of Louisiana, and he's a bit of a wild card in my opinion. He told me two days ago he's not going to sign until February, but something tells me I need to just keep an eye on him. If he does do something tomorrow and signs, look for South Carolina, FSU, and Penn State as the teams that would likely get him if he decides to sign early. Otherwise, he's going to push it back. Um, one other thing that we're watching is wide receiver from IMG Malik McLean. The name sounds familiar because he'd been committed to Florida state for about four and a half months before reopening his recruitment on December 7th. We thought he was going to flip to Ole Miss fairly quickly, but it didn't go down like that. And I learned over the weekend that FSU has still been in contact with them. And there's a slim chance that maybe they can get him to resign with FSU on Wednesday. Um, it'd be a nice addition. He's a six foot four, 195 pound wide receiver. As I said, the, the, uh, signing day extends through Friday. So while we expect most of the fireworks to go down on Wednesday, um, there's one big one that we're going to wait on on Friday. And that is four star top two, four, seven defensive tackle, George Wilson. Um, Wilson is a guy that has been trending in Florida state's direction for the past three days. Um, he was committed to South Carolina, but reopened his recruitment when Will Muschamp got fired. Six foot five, 214 pound pass rusher. Sign me up if I'm FSU. They really need one of those. Um, Auburn was the other team that was heavily in the mix and he was supposed to visit there this past weekend. He did not. And then Gus Malzahn got fired and there's an avalanche of crystal balls in FSU's favor after that. He'll be doing his signing on Friday. Whew. Did I miss anything, Brendan? That was the easiest podcast hosting I've ever had to do. If I did miss anything. I got one thing you missed. People could find it on Knowles 24-7. Yeah, let's not give it all away. There's one or two more things. Maybe a little junior college uh, timeline and action there, too. I don't give it all away, oh, though. Right? There is, yes. There's some some junior college prospects. I don't need to dig too far into that, but obviously one that we talk about a lot is Quay Davis. Uh, he's a wide receiver out of Itawamba in Mississippi. Um, hearing... Maybe FSU in South Carolina. I know the last time we were on this podcast, we said that Ole Miss was a major threat. Well, we're 24 hours from signing day and Ole Miss hasn't offered yet. So this one looks like FSU, South Carolina. He's originally from South Carolina. So that could be maybe put the Gamecocks over the edge, but um, that's one Juco prospect to watch. There's a couple other that are in play as well. Are you on cocaine right now? (laughs) <laughs> your energy level is extraordinary it's a day before signing day if you ain't alive for this all right uh let's see i think that's everything uh, that was informative i don't want to promise our listeners josh that we're going to have another podcast at the end of the week i think it kind of depends on 
on the quote unquote fireworks from signing day. If it all goes mm-hmm. as planned, probably not. Uh, Cause we're gonna be busy the next few days, but, but if it does go a little crazy, we'll do, we'll break out an emergency pod. You, you down for that? Yeah, I'm down. But in the meantime, follow us on Twitter, hit the site. Um, is the promo still running on the site for people to sign up? It was. I think it is, right? This morning when I checked, yeah, because it's an early signing period. Promo. A, it ends tomorrow. Minutes. Yep, tell me yeah, about it. I think it. it goes through the 16th. So there's a 60% off promo running right now. I think it averages out to like $3 a month to, to sign up for Knowles 24-7. Um, so go to the front page near the login section on the upper right-hand side. There's a sign-up uh, link. I think it's green. Just click that. I'll take you right to the deal. Want to ask for five-star reviews as well? No. All right, for Josh Newberg and everyone else who joined us in the McKenzie Milton Parade, and, and Josh was a part of it too, whether he wants to admit it or not, bringing up the rear, Josh Newberg. Berg, thanks for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who participated in the McKenzie Milton Parade, and uh, let's enjoy the early signing period tomorrow. Yeah.